Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, um, happy Friday to all of you. I mean, I'm not recording on Friday, but this is coming out on a Friday. And um, I'm super excited for you guys to meet my friend Kaylee and to hear her story. So Kaylee and I, uh, several years ago, we served together in a primary presidency and I just loved her for her spunk and how she would take on our children that were struggling. (laughs) We would have her go sit with them and love on them. And anyway, her and Chris were newly married at the time. And so I'm so lucky because they just moved back into our new ward where we're at and we love having them. And so on Sunday, Kaylee and Chris were speaking and Gannon turned to me when Kaylee finished and said, mom, you need to interview Kaylee for your podcast. (laughs) And then when the kids got in the car, they're like, Kaylee's talk was so good. And Paige kept talking about it. So today I'm interviewing Kaylee. So Kaylee, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Okay. So Kaylee, tell everybody, start with your, where did you grow up? A little bit about your personality, yourself, your family, all that good stuff. Um, so I am originally, I was born in Texas, um, which not many people know about me because I have completely like gotten rid of my accent altogether. Um, I moved to Oregon, uh, just before I started sixth grade. Um, my parents had come up to Oregon for my, um, late uncle's funeral and just fell in love with Oregon. Um, and I was at a very like transitional point in my childhood because I was getting ready to go to middle school. And so the area that like we were living in wasn't exactly, uh, family friendly, if you will. So my parents started looking and ultimately my dad found a job in Westland. And so we moved um, I had already started school in Texas. Um, we'd already put like my parents had put earnest money down on a house, everything. And then we just like packed up and moved to Oregon. Um, so I moved here in sixth grade. Um, I actually moved into the ward where I first saw my husband. Um, his family was in that ward. Um, some of his extended family, grandmother, aunt, all those wonderful people. Um, and he is a like homegrown Oregon boy. He's, you know, been here his whole life. Um, in fact, we can drive by and find all the places he's lived in Gresham, you know, since he was born. Um, but I, um, my parents are high school sweethearts. Um, they, uh, you know, my mom was a, she actually, my mom was a convert. So, um, my, my dad had grown up, gone in the church, uh, you know, gone on his mission and all those wonderful things. My mom, um, my dad actually baptized my mom, uh, and then they've been married, um, since he basically returned home from his mission. Um, there's a funny story in there somewhere about their engagement. Um, but I, uh, you know, I grew up with, uh, a mom who was always like really passionate about work and, um, so I have kind of taken on some of those traits, I would say. Um, I'm very much passionate about the work I do. Um, I'm an educator. 
Um, right now I'm a technology coach, but you know, my goal is to work as an administrator. Um, so that's kind of my life right now is, um, working on my, my goal of becoming an administrator. And, um, I'll kind of pause there because I know we kind of skipped over a little bit, but no, that's good. So, um, remind everybody how many you've got, you've got two sisters. Yeah. So I have two sisters. I'm the oldest of three. So I have a, a middle sister, um, who lives not too far from us, um, with her husband. And then she's got three kids already. And then a fourth on the way. And then I have a younger sister who is, um, a little bit further out. She lives in Portland. Um, and but you're all also- still in the same area, like together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So when, uh, when you met Chris's family members, did you meet him at that time too? No. So he had actually started, he was in high school. He was like 16 or 17 when I moved here, I think, or no, no, he was younger than that, but he, um, he had started to go inactive, um, at the time that I moved in. So like when I first moved in, I saw him a few times, like I would go and, you know, there's this really hot looking old, you know, taller guy in the ward. And, um, and then I noticed over the like few months after we had moved there that he had stopped coming. Um, and you know, him and I've talked about it. Like it just, you know, he was becoming more involved in sports and was getting a little bit more popularity. And so it just became harder and harder for him to attend, but he, um, has, uh, two, cause he actually is the oldest of four kids. So him and his, um, the, uh, next sibling are really close in age. I think they're like a year and a half apart. Um, so they both kind of like had gone inactive around the same time. Um, and then there were two younger siblings, um, who there's a pretty big age gap. Um, and those two, um, like I babysat Chris's youngest sister. So, um, I had at one point lived like four houses down from them And I was like asked to babysit his little sister. And then like his aunt, um, his aunt was actually in young women's with me because um, she is a, the youngest sibling of uh, Chris's mom and she was my age. And so her and I like grew up going to young women's together. So, so when did you fall for Chris? When did the sparks ignite and the two of you? fell passionately in love. (laughs) So we connected on MySpace, which is like hilarious. Yes. Um, yes. We were friends on MySpace and like, he swears he knew of me. I feel like he just lies to make me feel better. Um, but I a hundred percent knew who he was. Like I, I knew who Chris Wright was and, um, it was like really late one night. Um, and I was, I think like, 18, maybe 19 at the time. And I was working at old Chicago. So I was up late because it was open until 1am. So sometimes I'd get home and it'd be, you know, one 32 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I got onto my space and it had that little flashing icon that he was online. And so I just was like, go for it. And, um, we started talking and, um, and again, like he swears he knows who I was, but I still like question that, but we just kind of started talking and I was like, Oh yeah, I don't know if you remember, but I used to babysit your sister. And, um, we just kind of like started exchanging, um, you know, we would talk and, 
and it was like we did a couple days of like chatting on um like AOL instant messenger <laughs> and then after a few days of that he was like well do you want to talk on the phone and I'm thinking yes I want to talk on the phone so then it was like we started talking on the phone and then after a few days um he go he I just I still remember like vividly he goes yeah my boss said that you know we've been talking on the phone so much lately we should try hanging out in real life and I was like okay and it just so happened at the time that two of my good friends who I worked with lived in the apartment that was directly above him. <laughs> and so I would like go hang out with him, you know, and then I just go upstairs and, you know, go to sleep in their apartment. It was like perfect, you know. So um, we started hanging out. But then the joke started happening because, um, you know, he grew up Mormon and I was still active and I was still in the singles ward at the time. And it became like this joke, like, hey, you know, we're both Mormon. Like, we should probably be engaged by now, right? Like, we've been talking for, like, two weeks. Like, we should probably be engaged. And we just kind of were joking about it. And, like, we would make fun and poke fun at some of the stereotypes. And um, and then it was kind of, like, it evolved to the point where we are like, well, maybe we're not joking anymore. Maybe we should be, like, having this conversation. Um, and while we were talking about this stuff, he had mentioned to me, that he had actually had this really strong feeling that he should start going back to church. And so I was like, well, I'm going to be at the singles ward if you want to come. And I made it like super low stakes, like no pressure. Um, he stood me up the first week. Um, I got like a, I think a, a text message or a phone call or something. And he apologized, like he'd been out working late and then just slept in. But the second week he came and we started attending the singles ward together. And then, um, Sure enough, like, I think it was six months or so after we had started dating, we decided we were going to go to Utah together. Um, drove to Utah. We got to see, like, the Olympic um, Park and everything. It was super cool. And um, we had already picked out my engagement ring at that point. So I knew it was coming, but, like, was still not entirely sure. And I remember like we had been there for a few days already. And I thought like, why has he not asked me yet? Like, is he not going to ask me? Like, what is going on? And um, we at one point, like he was like, oh, I have to go back into the bathroom and um, and then I'll be out. And I was like, OK. And I didn't think anything of it. Um, and then we walked down to go to the car. And we drove to the um, the Joseph Smith um, building in downtown Salt Lake. Okay. And we were standing in front of the, um, the infinity pond. And, um, he's like, Oh, I'm going to ask this guy to take our picture. And again, I'm not thinking like anything of it at this point. Cause at this point I'm still mad. He hasn't done it. I'm not thinking about the fact that this could potentially be that moment. <laughs> and sure enough, like he asks this guy to take a picture, tells the guy, Hey, I'm going to propose. And so we have this great picture of him down on one knee in front of this infinity pond. Um, and, I'm, I'm still not confident. I said yes, but I think it was, um, you know, sort of figured out through my excitement that I was willing. So, <laughs> so when, how long was it before you got married after that? Like how many months? Um, we, so we kind of did things backwards. We got engaged after six months, but we took about 11 months before we got married. So, oh, wow. How yeah. did, did you move back to Oregon then? <clears throat> We actually were, we were both still in Oregon at the time. We just okay. had gone to Salt Lake for a visit. So, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's fast forward. You get married 
And what does your lives look like at that point? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? What's Chris doing? So about six months after we got married, um, Chris had always like had this dream of becoming a firefighter. So for the first few months of us getting married, it was like, we would go and he would test at different fire departments. And we like thought about Idaho. So we went and tested in Nampa. Um, he was testing in Portland, Tualatin Valley, like all of these areas around cause he wanted to be a structure firefighter. Um, and he had been doing this for a long time. It wasn't just like, since we got married, he'd done it for a while. Um, so we started talking and he was like, I think I'm going to apply to become a wildland firefighter. And I'm thinking like, okay, what does that mean? Well, what that meant was, um, because he found a, a place that would accept him. He was, um, six months after we got married, he was flying to, or driving actually to Idaho, salmon, Idaho, which is about two hours outside of Missoula. Um, so he was driving over to salmon, Idaho and was basically there for about six months. Um, cause fire season, you know, it feels like to most of us, it's only in the summer, but they have to start and get prepared ahead of time. And then they stay after to kind of clean up and, and get things packed away for the winter. Um, so first two years of our marriage, um, he was spending six, of, six months of the year in Idaho and then six months of the year in Oregon. And then I had just started, um, at the time I was working for, um, my, one of my good friends, his parents own a plumbing business. And so I was working for them while I was attending school. But then I, um, at, right about the time that Chris, um, after his first year had come home, I took a job working as an educational assistant, which meant that I had summers off. So my second or his second year in the forest service, I flew to salmon and stayed with him for the summer, which was super, super cool. Like as a young married couple, we lived in this like really small town. It was like a river town. So you like days off, you just like floated the river. Um, and everyone was like pretty young. So it was just like a lot of like really fun nights of just like hanging out and barbecuing and um, it was a really, really cool experience. I think for both of us is salmon by Hayden, Idaho. I don't know. I, the only place I remember was that the closest place was Missoula and that was two hours away because that's where you fly into fly into it. Okay. I, I'm going to look on a map have- after I think I've been in salmon. It is beautiful. It's yes. So if it's what I'm thinking, there's a, there's like a stream right through it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And there is a tiny church there too, because we were actually at- able to attend church in salmon, which I thought was like bizarre. Oh so. my gosh. Okay. I'm going to totally go back and look in the archives of my, yeah. of our va- vacation. So you guys, he's, he's there two years. You're there with him in salmon. And what, where do your, where does your life start to take you after that? So after his second year, he had been off, he had actually been offered an apprenticeship opportunity. So they wanted him to be an apprentice in the forest service and he had done a year. So he'd gone to California and gone through like a, an academy, so to speak. And they were getting ready to talk about his second year. And at that point, like we were started to, had started to talk about wanting to start our family. And so we had been married for about two years at that point and felt like, okay, we've lived, you know, a couple years where it's just been the two of us. Like, it feels like now would be a good time to 
to start exploring what our family is going to look like. Um, he's the oldest of four. I'm the oldest of three. So we kind of thought like, you know, somewhere in there, Chris wanted an even number because he wanted to make sure everybody had a friend. And I being the oldest of three, like my sisters are Irish twins. So they've always been kind of more close. I actually really enjoyed the fact that I was kind of on my own, so to speak, because I was three, I'm three years older than the middle. So I kind of liked that independence. So I was kind of like, well, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So, um, so yeah, we just decided like, we're going to go for it. And, um, I still remember, um, it had been, we were at timeout for women and I was there at the time with my mother-in-law and, um, her sister-in-law. So one of Chris's aunts. And they had asked us kind of like a, you know, a, a typical like nonchalant, like, well, are you guys planning on having kids? Like, do you want, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, we like to, but I've been trying, we've been trying for a year and nothing's happened. And that I think was the first time that I ever really kind of thought like, huh, I mean, it, it has been a year, like it's been a whole year and nothing has happened. So when did you start um, feeling like you needed to maybe talk to your doctor about having some tests done or how did that all work? Where, where did that lead you as time went on? To be honest, um, I was really too ashamed to talk to anybody about it. Um, I didn't want to talk to, I mean, like in my family, no one that I knew of at the time had ever had any sort of miscarriages or struggle to get pregnant, anything. So I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable talking with anybody in my family about it. Um, I didn't at the time, like I, I still don't really feel super comfortable um, talking with um, my in-laws about it just because it just um, it's, it's just a difficult subject to talk about period. Um, And I, for the longest time um, just kind of wanted to pretend like it was going to fix itself. So um, we didn't really see any sort of specialist until after I had started teaching finally. So what had happened was I had gone to Lincoln city, my first year of teaching. Yes. I remember that. Yep. So I moved to Lincoln city. Um, and then Chris was still in Gresham because at that point he had, um, he had actually just started working for the medical examiner's office. And, um, so he was staying up there and he would work his two days. And then on his four days off, he would drive down and stay with me in Lincoln city. And, um, we've been married for seven years at this point. So like no pregnancies, no nothing already. And it's been seven years. And so he was like traveling back and forth. And at one point, um, winter break had happened and, um, things between us had gotten to be pretty, um, stressful. Um, and I, and just, they got really hard. They got hard because again, we've been trying for seven years with nothing happening. Um, and then you add in like watching friends and family members around you who are having kids and, um, as much as you are overjoyed for them and happy for them, you still have this like, you know, sort of bitter feeling. Um, and then, um, we were back to being separated again because he was, um, you know, it was like the first couple years of marriage where with the exception of we at least could drive and see each other at this point. Like I was still two hours away 
and he was driving back and forth. And so that was like also adding to the stress and the strain. Um, so in, I want to say like January, we were in Lincoln city, which at the time Lincoln city had, I don't even think they had a Walgreens. I think the only thing they had was a Safeway at the time. Um, and we, like I had noticed I was experiencing some physical symptoms I was not used to. And I like had never had to track my cycles or anything because of the fact that I just, um, everything was like on the up and up. So at that point I had kind of like given up on trying, but we hadn't really moved back into preventing mode, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought like, Hmm, I wonder if I could be pregnant. And so I took a pregnancy test and it came back as positive. And then I took three more <laughs> and they all came back as positive. And then I was like, well, we need to get a digital one because I, I don't, I don't know. I just, this can't be, this can't be the case. So we had to drive to Newport, which was like an hour, hour away. away. Yeah. <laughs> digital test. And sure enough, like <clears throat> we went to the front Myers, got a digital. I went in the bathroom and it came back as positive. And of course, in, in my naive mind at the time, I thought like, oh, well, this is it. All I needed to do was get pregnant. No problem. Now I'm pregnant. Um, and we, again, Lincoln City is like super small. We go to my, I call my doctor, my OB, and I'm like, hey, so we just found out we're pregnant. She's like, I want to get you in for an ultrasound like ASAP. I'm like, awesome. So we go in, we get this ultrasound. It's in the um the small little ob section of the the hospital in Lincoln city and they didn't really talk to us about it like she just took a bunch of pictures and then she was like okay well your ob's gonna call you and i'm like okay again like naively all i need to do is get pregnant like that's all i needed so i um went to work um and i had meetings in newport that day because our district office was in newport And um, I got a phone call. And so I stepped out to take it. And my doctor was like, you know, it sucks that you're two hours away. You know, I wish I could have this conversation with you in person. But um, looking at the ultrasound, um, there's no heartbeat. And I was just like, what? Like, how is that even possible? Um, And because it had just never crossed my mind that like something could happen after I got pregnant. So that was like, probably one of the, like, that was one of the most horrendous experiences because, um, I ended up going in, um, and you know, they give you your options, right? Like you can take medication to help it pass, or you can go in and have a medical procedure. I wasn't super educated at the time and was just kind of like wanting to just move on and, and get past it, decided to take the medication at home and um, ended up having a pretty terrible experience related to that um, to the point where like I was still experiencing um, symptoms and um, I ended up having to like ultimately still like a month later go in and have a DNC performed. Um, So it was like, it was just like dragging on this like terrible experience and So that was like the first experience I'd ever had of actually getting pregnant. So then after that, Chris and I had talked and I was just like, well, maybe we should, maybe now we should actually, you know, see someone. Um, And so we went to a clinic and, um, you know, again, like no one in my family or Chris's family had ever experienced this This is like new territory. 
we were learning all of this stuff on our own. Um, and at the time, like, I really didn't feel like it was something that people talked about. It wasn't something people shared with others if they were experiencing it. So I completely felt like we were the only people in the entire world who were going through what we were going through. Um, it just didn't feel like anybody else that we at least knew had ever had that conversation or talked about at all, anything. Um, so we started treatment and um, nothing really happened. Like we had a chemical pregnancy and then we decided to take a little break again. Um, and then I got hired to teach kindergarten and I got hired to teach kindergarten out in um, Boring and I met a family who had adopted their two boys and I was talking to that family and happened to um, find out that they were also um, Latter-day Saints and that um, my husband had gone to high school with um, her sister. And um, so in talking with this couple, um, Brock and Amy, and talking with Brock and Amy, um, they had ex it just told us like, yeah, we had tried for years. And, um, and I just thought like, what? <laughs> like, what? Like this happens to other people? And they um, invited us over one night and they're like, if you guys want to talk, like, you know, we'll tell you everything you want to know, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, so we went over there um, and talked to them for a while. And I left that conversation feeling like now was the time. Um, so we decided we were putting fertility treatment on hold and we were going to move forward with adoption. Um, and that like, that was a, a crazy experience. Um, cause I just thought like, there were so many hoops you had to jump through and so many like things you had to check off a list. And, and I just thought like, while it's wonderful preparation for being a parent, I started to think like, why isn't this like the case for everyone? Like, why don't you go to an <laughs> OP's office and then they're like, Hey, so now that you're pregnant, we're going to go through this home study yeah. and we're going to come check your house and we're going to come make, you know, like I thought this is wonderful preparation. Like everyone should experience it. Not just people who are going through adoption or in some cases, foster care too. Cause you have to do it with foster care as well. But, um, so we, um, took the summer of that year. Um, it was 2015 so we took the summer of 2015 to complete our home study. Um, and we, uh, at the time, we had just found out that the church had come out and said that they were no longer going to be continuing with um, their adoption services. So they, at the time, they were facilitating your adoptions, which was a significantly huge, like it lifted a financial burden for a lot of families because they were doing it um, through the church. Um, not to mention there was a lot of networking going on, right? So you're matching women typically who are still within the church with families who were still, um, you know, within the church. So we were like super upset to hear about that. But then shortly after they had announced that they were now partnering with adoption.com to facilitate all of their um, adoptions at that point. So we, um, got our profile all like set up and ready to go. Home study was ready to go. And then we just kind of waited and, um, and then, so that uh, whole, that, <clears throat> that whole process took you and Chris about a year 
to do all the work, the background work for it. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a lot of like study, right? Like, so studying about, cause there, there are things that come with adoption that don't necessarily happen with a regular, um, pregnancy because there can be trauma related to adoption. There could be other like, um, uh, issues that come up like identity issues, um, things that like you have to somewhat be prepared for, um, that you might encounter. Um, sometimes there are adoptions that, um, you know, kids have like special needs. And so they want you to prepare for those situations. And so, and then it's like things like making sure you have fire extinguishers on all levels of your house and making sure that the gate to the backyard is secured and has like proper securance. Um, you know, you have to be basically show that you're going to be a competent parent, which again, I really wish we didn't just we limit all, that. We all did. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So you're already, you have everything turned in and what's the next step? You just wait until somebody finds you and makes a match. Yeah. So at that point you just, it's, it seems like, it seems so crazy because it's almost like a dating profile. You're just like waiting for somebody who, who likes the way you look on paper to reach out to you. And the thing is, is like, there's no guarantee that just because somebody reaches out to you initially, that, that that's going to be, you know, the, the mother that ultimately decides that you, yeah. Um, but as we've learned through our experience, like, unfortunately, it doesn't matter how you start your family, whether it be pregnancy, surrogacy, adoption, any of those things, there's no guarantee period. Like there just really isn't, there's always something that could potentially change that course for you. So, um, you know, we just, we waited. Um, and fortunately for us, we didn't have to wait very long. Um, because, uh, our son's, uh, birth mother, um, reached out to us, uh, around November. So we had really only been on the site for about a month and a half. And, and one thing they warn you about too, is like, there are people out there who, who try to scam you. And there are people who like will email you and like try to get you to pay for things or like send, you know, in order to just get money from you and they have no intention. So that was like definitely something that we were thinking of was like, is this real? Is this fake? Like, and we were very much like guarded in, in our, you know, correspondence, but she would, um, email us, you know, every few days and, um, And, uh, eventually she did have a caseworker still through Elias family services who, um, I was able to communicate with. And, um, the caseworker just was like, I'm telling you right now, like she is, um, a little bit older. Um, she was in her thirties. She already had two children and, um, her daughter is very much, her daughter was, I think 18 at the time. She's like, her daughter is very much in support of this. Um, I, I don't think that this is one you're going to have to worry about. Um, and we were like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> so, um, we kind of kept up. Haley, did, by- when did she, how far along was she, when she reached out to you on the adoption.com um, website? So her, her due date was in February. So I think she was like second trimester by then. Okay. Um, cause she was due like first week in February. So she was, that was the other thing is she had made the decision and she was pretty far along because there are some people who believe that if you make the decision too early, 
that's just too much time that things could change. Um, so that was another kind of factor that the, the, um, caseworker was like, I feel pretty confident that she's going to follow through. So, um, but yeah, uh, we, um, we had been communicating with her for a while. Um, and that was like the moment we had this moment, um, which I, it's probably one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, we were like super stressed out because we hadn't heard from her in a few days, um, which was not common for her. And um, my husband was getting especially anxious, which he is just not an anxious person. And I just was like, well, why don't we just go say a prayer then? Like, let's just, you know, and we were not the type, I think that like our, our instinct at the time when things were going crazy was not, oh, let's go say a prayer. But for whatever reason, at that moment, I was like, let's go say a prayer. So we went into our bedroom, we knelt down and we said this prayer and, um, I don't remember what we said in the prayer. I know we asked for comfort, for peace, for clarity. I know we asked to make sure that, you know, she was certain and that she was safe and okay. Um, and, and then we said, you know, said our amen and then clear as day, I just heard, this is your son clear as day. And I, remember I just kind of like stopped and like I grabbed Chris and he's like, what? And I was like, you are not going to believe this. And he was like, what? And I was like, I just heard as clear as day, this is your son. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't like, that was the most insane thing. I don't. And, and he was just like, really? And I was like, yeah. So um, from that point on, like every single ounce of anxiety I'd experienced was like gone. Like there was no anxiety for me at all. And I'm, an, I'm an extremely anxious person and it was gone. Um, in fact, at one point, um, we were in the hospital after he was born and his birth father showed up unexpectedly. And I remember it put everyone in the, um, in the hospital, like on edge, like they were very worried with him showing up that things could change. Um, and the nurse even at one point was like, aren't you worried? And I was like, no, this is my son. I'm not worried about it. It's going to be fine. And I remember her looking at me, probably thinking in her head, like, you are crazy. I thought like, no, I have gotten the answer I needed. I'm fine. Like, I'm not questioning this. Um, had you ever that- in your life had a similar situation to that before that time? Me, me personally, no, me personally, no. Um, okay. I, um, my dad had experienced something similar to that. Um, cause I was in an accident when I was in high school that nearly killed me. And my dad had had a moment like that where he was told very, very strongly to expect a miracle. Um, and he, I remember he wrote me a letter after it happened so that I would have like a copy of it. Um, but he like very distinctly went into a restroom, got down to pray and was told expect a miracle. And, um, he remembers like, it wasn't pray for a miracle. It wasn't like hope for me. It was expect a miracle. And sure enough, like I survived an accident. I shouldn't have survived. So I had never personally experienced anything like that. Um, but, um, I, I feel like in that moment, it was like the Lord knew I was the one who needed that like confirmation And if I was able to stay like calm and able to just kind of like be like real about the situation, then 
I was able to like sort of help my husband as well. And so everything like from that point on, I mean, again, like we had no issues at all. Like she went through um, with the adoption and then he came home with us. Um, He was in the hospital for five days after he was born. Um, and then we drove back home. Um, we, he was born in, uh, Springfield. So it was only like a two hour drive. Um, so we drove him home and, you know, he, uh, we actually, um, finalized his adoption in, uh, April. It was April of, uh, 2016. So about three months. So Kaylee, what, um, what was your experience like at the hospital when she delivered him? Did she allow you in the room? Did you and Chris have to wait outside? What was the, um, it was, oh my gosh, I wish people could, I mean, like it was the most amazing experience. So first of all, we were allowed in the room, like almost immediately after we got there. Um, and, uh, we did skin to skin with him the whole time. Um, I met him and he was put directly on me. Um, and she was in the room at the time. Um, and then, um, they all knew of her intentions. Like she had told them when she had gotten there, her intentions. And so, um, they do this thing at it's McKinsey Willamette is where he was born. Um, so they put a little heart on her door and that heart is just a symbol for the nurses coming in and out of there that she has made this decision and it's to help like, so that they don't encourage things that typically you would encourage for a new mom. Um, just because of the, the difficulty that that could pose. Um, so they actually got me my own room, me and Chris, they gave us our own room and he stayed with us the whole time. So there were a couple of times that she had asked like for him to come back and, you know, we'd send him over and she'd be with him for a little while. And then, you know, she'd bring him back and her mom was there with her at the time. Um, and we talked to her mom, you know, and, and, just asked her mom, like, you know, how's she doing? How's she feeling? And she said, I, you know, I think she knows that this is the decision she needs to make and that this is the right one. And her mom seemed very supportive as well. Um, and, um, and you know, like, uh, his, uh, biological siblings were there. So his sister and, um, brother were both there and met him. Um, but he, you know, we spent the nights with him. So like he was in our room at night, we woke up and would feed him, Um, and, uh, and they did sweet things like, um, they made, um, those little footprint cards for him. So they made like one set for us and one set for her. And then like, we gave him the name Jackson. And so they made us a little bracelet that had his name on it. And then she had given him a different name. Um, and so they made a bracelet with that name on it to, um, to give to her. So like everything they did, they did like two of them. Um, and so she got to take stuff with her as well, which is like amazing. So, but I mean, like they, they let me have that, my own room. So Chris and I were in our own room for most of our stay towards the end, they started to fill up with other women who were in labor. So we got moved to like a family waiting room, but they blocked it off so that that room was for us. And we still slept every night with him and, and took care of him. And it was perfect. Best experience. What was it like coming home with him? How were you feeling emotionally? Were you just so excited that it didn't matter? The crying, the diapers, the bottles, the. Well, I will tell you there are blessings to not having physically birthed your child because you're not nearly as like physically exhausted. Right. 
So we shared the responsibility, right? Like we could both make bottle the same. So um, Chris was extremely hands-on. So it was like very much like we split our time. Um, I had taken off work at that point because it was January. So I took off from work. Um, so I was on maternity leave. Um, but it was um, also, it was, it was a scary time too, because there was still this thought in the back of my mind, like what happens if she changes her mind? And, um, at that point, like our attorney was, was, um, you know, like, you know, at this point, like there's no changing her mind. And I just thought like, but what if she does, like, what if this is all just temporary? So it was kind of like shadowed in some ways, but, um, he did was, you have a certain grace period that you had to wait then? Is that where your concerns um, so came it, is that she could change her mind by a certain time? She could, but at that point she had already like passed her window, but I just still like was convinced in my own mind, like, you know, this, you know, I, it was just in my mind, it was just like, this was my anxiety, like creeping back in. Like, even though I'd had this wonderful experience before and I knew in my heart, like, this is my son. He's been, um, you know, he's been meant to be with our family this whole time. Like it was just, um, that like anxiety was creeping in and I was just getting, um, thoughts that like, were not even remotely possible were in, were causing me a lot of grief. So, um, I remember once, um, Amy had said to me, um, she had mentioned that she always had the belief that, um, her son's souls were always a part of their family. They just needed someone else to help them get the body here. And so I thought of it like the same way, like his soul has always been a part of our family. We just needed help getting his body to the earth because our bodies weren't able to do that for him. So, um, I, that's where I feel like that connection was, was really like, relevant to me was that, you know, his, his soul's always been a part of our family. So did you, were there any, um, hiccups with her at all in that year process? I mean, from the time he was born. So we did have one, um, we were going to see her like a few days after and, um, and then she had said like, I have a fever, so we probably shouldn't see each other. And we're like, okay, you know, not a big deal. Like we'll make something happen. Um, and then I want to say it was like a couple months in, she wanted to visit with him and we're like, yeah, no problem. Like we'll come down to Springfield, um, or we'll meet somewhere in the middle. And she was like, okay. But then as it got closer, he started to get just like, I mean, it wasn't like super sick, but he was just like, you know, normal, like newborn stuff. Like he was starting to feel kind of yucky. And so I had told her, I said, I think we need to reschedule. And that was, um, just, a really like difficult thing for her to process. Like she thought we were trying to keep him from her and um, she got very upset and started to say things that at the time were like super hurtful. Um, And um, I just was getting like increasingly uncomfortable with our conversations. So for my own sort of like self-preservation, I had to like set a boundary and I was like, I can't be the communication for you anymore. Like you're going to have to talk to Chris it hurts me too much. Like you are coming after me now, um, personally, like you're saying things that, you know, will hurt me. Um, and I just need to like keep myself safe. And so I had to like 
completely cut off all communication with her and everything had to go through Chris. Um, and then interestingly enough, um, it's been a, that was like within the first few months of him being born. Um, I want to say like maybe two years ago, she had reached out to us again and just, she apologized for all of it and just said, I, sorry, that's okay. <laughs> um, she had been in a, a really bad space, which was completely understandable given the circumstances, but she just apologized and said the way she acted was inappropriate and she feels really terrible about it. And, um, and, you know, of course we were more than, more than happy to offer her that forgiveness because, um, I couldn't imagine having been in her shoes. Um, and she was just, you know, trying to process that in a way that unfortunately I became the target of, even though it was not my, you know, I hadn't done something to her, so to speak, like, but I was the easy target for her. Um, so, um, it's been like, Chris emails her every three months or so, and just gives her like an update. And then I have like a, a online photo album that I add pictures to for her that she's access to. Um, and it's been a little while since we've heard from her, but we've gotten a couple of moments where she has, you know, just checked in and said, thank you. And, you know, we appreciate you keeping us updated. And, um, so I, I don't know like what the future looks like for her and for him, like he, um, it is an open adoption. Like we have every intention of, well, we tell him he's adopted all the time. It's not a secret in our family. Like, um, it's something that's celebrated and honored. And so it's not going to be like this, like big discovery for him someday, but you know, he's got siblings and like, he, I want him to know that regardless of, of, um, the fact that like, you know, he is a part of our family now, like those are still his siblings and that is still the woman who gave birth to him. And he'll always have that connection to them. And he's always more than welcome to seek out that connection too, for whatever reason. Well, when did you, um, what month did you have a Jackson sealed to you and Chris? Um, that was in July. So we wanted, so we wanted, first of all, you have to make sure that they're legally adopted before you can be sealed to them. So we already were like waiting for April. Um, but then at the end of, by the end of April, um, we had found out that one of my cousins was actually going to be getting married at the, in the Portland temple in July. And my grandfather, um, he had already like gotten special privilege before, um, he had gotten special privilege to seal Chris and I in the temple. Um, so he was going to be getting special privilege to seal my cousin and his wife in the temple as well. And so we just thought like, um, why not do it all at the same time? And actually, I don't even think it was my, I think it was my cousin, might've been my cousin Meg, um, who was getting married, I think. Um, but we just decided since my grandfather was already going to be up here and we wanted him to be the one to seal us that we would just wait and do it at the same time. Plus all of our family would already be in town for the wedding and stuff too. So, um, and you know, my, my grandfather passed away a couple years ago now. And, um, I feel kind of proud of the fact that Jackson's the only grandson who was ever sealed to his family by my grandfather. Um, I felt like that was kind of like a special thing that we had with him. So pretty, 
awesome. <laughs> what was that? What was the ceiling experience like for you? Um, I, again, like, I feel like I'm sad sometimes that people don't get to experience, um, what it's like to be sealed to your child because, um, there is nothing more amazing than getting to hold your child with your, you know, your, your husband and know that, um, even though you weren't connected by blood, you're connected through your spirit. Um, I, and to know that my grandfather was the one to do it too. Like, um, it just held that much more meaning. Um, just because I, I love my grandfather so much. Like he is, he was such a, an important person in my life. Um, to know that he was the one to seal us, like made it even better. Um, but I just like, I, it's this perfect moment that again, I wish everyone had the chance to experience, but I know that not everyone will, um, which makes it feel even more special. Um, you know, I, 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 that perfect moment is something that is always just in my mind, just thinking of all of us standing there in white and to think about too, like how far we had come. Like when I first met my husband, he hadn't gone to church and like, it had been like a really, it had been quite a few years since he had attended church. And now here we were in the temple with our son and we were being sealed together. Like it just was, um, it was a really amazing moment. So do you mind sharing more about your journey with, um, pregnancies and some feelings you went through and then how did you get through these experiences? Sure. So, um, about two years after Jackson was born, we were like, okay, let's, let's try again. Like, let's just give it a go. And we went and met with a new fertility clinic. Um, and we had a treatment plan. We're like, let's do this. So went in for our first, um, uh, insemination cycle didn't work. And so we were like, okay, um, no, no big deal. So what had happened was, um, we had, um, gone through our first cycle, didn't work. And we decided, um, we were going to try again because they had told us like, it's, you know, one to three times you have to give it a shot, like one to three times. And I thought, okay, well, we didn't get it the first time. That's fine. No big deal. So we decide we're going to go for a second round and the second round works. And I'm just thinking like, again, <laughs> all it has to do is all we have to do is get pregnant. Like at this point it's, it'll be fine. So, um, everything is going like super routine. We go in, we get an ultrasound, see the heartbeat. It's great. Um, every appointment we're going to all the checkups, everything are great. Everything's going super well. Um, and then it gets to be time for, um, our, our big, like gender ultrasound. So the one where they can tell us gender, but then also they look at like, um, certain markers to determine, um, you know, if there's going to be any disorders or, or things like that. So we go in for our appointment. And at this point, like, again, we've made it this far. So I think everything's fine. 
go in to sit down and do the ultrasound and she starts to um, move the wand and that's when I'm like he has no heartbeat like I can see like we'd seen every single time his heart flashing on the screen and I was like he has no heartbeat and she was like no he doesn't and I was um, I think I was supposed to be 16 weeks at the time and he was measuring like 14 and um so I was just like I'm sorry what like we were safe like we were out of the safe zone this doesn't make any sense um so we had um had an experience where my husband had gotten like super super sick a few weeks prior um with something called cytomegalovirus and Cytomegalovirus is only dangerous if you are a woman in the first trimester of pregnancy. And so go figure, I happened to be um, exposed to CMV in my first trimester. And even though I had tested negative for it, it still somehow got passed on. And so when they tested um, Grayson was what we named him, Grayson James, when they tested Grayson, sure enough, he had like high levels of CMV. And so that was ultimately what they had determined caused the field demise. So um, went through uh, labor with Grayson, which was, um, you know, like nothing I would have ever imagined. It was, um, it was not a, um, it was, it was not a, it just was not the moment we were, were looking for, hoping for, um, you know, it's, they put you in a back, they had put us like in a room towards the back, you know, obviously, so we weren't having to hear and see other babies being born. Um, it was very much like people walked in and out of the room and they were very quiet and careful. And, um, it just was a very like somber experience. And then, um, we just had to go and, and experience labor and, um, and it was extremely painful. And, um, and then of course, like you add on to it, the, the emotional pain that you're experiencing too. Um, because once you deliver that baby, um, there's no cries, there's no, you know, noise, you know, it's just, it's just quiet. Um, so we, um, we just kind of like left that day really confused and really angry and just not like really sure like what was supposed to happen next. Um, so we kind of took some time and, um, started to think about like, okay, so what do we do next? Like, do we choose adoption again? Do we try fertility treatment again? Like, we know now that I can get pregnant. I just need a little help. So, and so we ultimately were like, okay, let's just like, let's try it again. Let's see how it goes. So did IUI again, and it worked. And, um, we, um, you know, got through our first, um, trimester and we're like, okay, we're good now. We made it through our first trimester. Everything's great. And then um, as we were continuing to move through our second trimester, um, we had some tests come back that were abnormal. So they sent us to a 
maternal fetal medicine specialist and they were like well we just want to like check and see like what's going on and i'm sure it's fine and we're like okay and so we go to our mfm doctor and they're like yeah i mean like it could be this or it could be that but you know we're just going to kind of watch you and um and how far along you were in your second trimester yeah i think i was probably like i think i was around like 18 weeks at this point So I kept, um, like, it was like every appointment we go to, it felt like we were getting bad news and it was like, never good news. Like, oh, well this time we've noticed this is happening this time. We've noticed this is happening. And it got to the point where finally, like, um, Chris, and I talked about it and he's like, I can't keep going to the appointments. He's like, it's just, it's too much for me. And I was like, I get it. Like, and so I started just going to appointments alone and then trying to relay information to him because it was like putting more, I've never seen my husband that stressed out. Um, so we, um, went in or I, I went into one appointment and she had taken my blood pressure. And this was like the thing that kept frustrating me is they would take my blood pressure at the end of my appointments. And I was like, you just gave me the worst possible news I could get right now. And then you're taking my blood pressure. Like, of course my blood pressure is high. So, um, at one point she takes my blood pressure and it was like, we're talking like seizure levels high. And so I'm like, okay, well, again, you just took my blood pressure after giving me like pretty devastating news. Um, and she's like, you know what? You're right. Let's give it, you know, we'll have you rest for like 20 minutes and we're going to take it again. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I call Chris. I'm like, yeah, they're making me take my blood pressure again because, um, it was high again, um, but everything's fine. She comes back in after taking my blood pressure. She's like, yeah, um, so you're going to need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, what? She's like, your blood pressure is not coming down. Like, we're worried that you're going to have a seizure. And I'm like, what? And she's like, well, it looks like you have what we call preeclampsia. However, preeclampsia usually doesn't happen until the third trimester okay, well, I'm only in the second. Yeah, that's kind of the problem because typically the way you cure preeclampsia is by delivering, but you have a very small baby who would not survive if you were to deliver right now. So we need to get you to the hospital and get your blood pressure down. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm thinking I'm going to be there two, three days tops. So, um, they, um, I call Chris who of course is like, (laughs) I'm afraid he's going to have like a, a mental breakdown when I tell him like, cause that means that not only am I going into the hospital now, he is like on single father duty, like by himself and he's supposed to somehow be working as well. Um, and so I was like more worried about him than I was myself. Um, so I, I was like, Hey, so I'm going to go, I have to go to the hospital. Like they're admitting me. And he's like, what? Like, it's fine. Like my blood pressure's high. So I call my mom and I'm like, Hey, I need you to pack me a bag. Like I'm going to be here for a few days. And she's like, okay. So, um, get to the hospital and they're like, yeah, we're pretty sure that you have preeclampsia. Um, but because, um, Jordan is so he was growth restricted. Cause they think that like my placenta was not, um, functioning well. Um, he was so growth restricted. He was like measuring like a couple weeks behind. So we started having like really hard conversations about like, okay, well, 
um, if you are going to have him, like he needs to be a certain weight to even be like considered into the NICU because there's like, you know, masks and tubes and things that like, he has to be a certain weight to even be able to use effectively. So we're talking like, okay, this is how big he needs to be. You're on bed rest until you get to that point. Um, you may be having to have a C-section. Like we're having all of these crazy conversations. Um, and finally, like it gets to a point where um, it's kind of like, okay, hold on. We need to take a second and like, look at this big picture. And so um, we started um, having like um, every other day ultrasound. So the maternal fetal medicine um, office was right next to the hospital. So they would like wheel me across the parking lot over to there and we do ultrasounds and they'd be like, well, this is happening. So now we just have to wait for this. And I, interestingly enough, like I, the whole experience, like I felt completely at peace. Like I never was like stressed or worried. I was just kind of like, well, this is our situation. Um, I can't do anything to change it. Like I'm just kind of, it is what it is. Um, and um, I was thoroughly convinced through the whole thing that we were still going to come home with the baby. Like I was just, it didn't ever cross my mind that we would again be having to have a, a, a son who was not born alive. So um, it was two years ago today that he um, I woke up at like three or four in the morning and they were trying to find his heartbeat and couldn't find it. And I thought, oh, it's fine. Like they had had trouble before. And she brought in one of the residents and he was like, yeah, there's nothing. I'm really sorry. And I was just kind of like, okay. Um, at that point, I, I do kind of feel like we had become like pretty desensitized, which sounds terrible, but like we had already been through this once. So it was just kind of like, here we go again. Um, so I called Chris, it was like four or five in the morning and I called him and I was like, Hey, so he's gone. Um, and at the time it was even more challenging. Cause like we knew my grandfather too was starting to get really sick. So I was like super sad about my grandpa. Um, and so we just uh, started to prepare again, like for going through the experience again of having to deliver another baby that wasn't coming home with us. Um, and I will say that my experience at, um, at Legacy Emanuel delivering Jordan was night and day from when it was like with Grayson these nurses were so kind and so compassionate they took pictures of us um they took pictures of Jordan um one nurse even um I told her like how badly I wanted Olive Garden she went and like had ordered Olive Garden for me um and brought like it was like the nicest thing um the manager brought over all this food for us and then like didn't charge them for the food and then gave us like an extra gift card so we could have dinner again later um so she like has pictures um or she took pictures for me of me like eating olive garden while you know he's laying next to me and um we um we also were really lucky that in that hospital they had one of the cooling blankets so he spent two days with us like he didn't have to go anywhere um so i mean completely different experience um and it's kind of sad because like I look back on 
what it was like when Grayson passed and I have small regrets sometimes um, with how it was all kind of handled and dealt with because um, I just I didn't know any better um, with Grayson we didn't know so we left his body there with Jordan we asked Jordan to be cremated so we could keep him it's like little things that you know with Jordan we have all these wonderful pictures but with Grayson, there's one because no one thought to offer to take pictures. So it was just kind of a, it was a bittersweet situation because I was grateful for everything we got with Jordan. But also it made me sad that the same care wasn't given with Grayson. But I also know that we couldn't have known any differently at the time. So, so um, yeah, that uh, we've we've kind of gone back and forth because Jackson wants nothing more than to be a sibling. Um, so we've kind of tried to talk a couple times, like, what does this mean? Do we keep going? Do we, um, do we stop? Like, do we again, try to pursue adoption? Like, what does that look like for us? And um, I think we have, um, we are kind of just like in this, um, this holding pattern right now, kind of like a, we're just kind of so tired um, from everything that it's just kind of nice to not think about it for a second. <laughs> um, because the sad part is, is that um, at this point, like we won't ever have a normal pregnancy. We won't ever have a normal delivery. Like the word normal doesn't exist in the world for, for um, fertility and, and, and children like it does for others. Like, you know, normally you get pregnant and it's like this moment of just like sheer pure excitement and joy and for us it's just like you know kind of holding our breaths and and waiting to see what does this mean like how far will this go like so it's a bit of a a, a tough situation to kind of be navigating so so how do you feel like this last 14 years how has, how have these experiences changed you? Well, um, you know, it's interesting because I think like experiences like ours either completely rip you apart or they completely bring you together. And it is, I can count a number of times that I would not have had any sort of, um, ill feelings towards my husband. If he had said like, I can't do this anymore because what we experienced is some, I mean, to go through infertility is one thing. To go through infertility and have a stillbirth is another. To go through infertility and two stillbirths, like that is not something you hear a lot of people having experienced. And so there was a period of time that like, you know, and there have been times where my husband has been like, I can't, like we can't get pregnant again. Like I can't go through this experience again, um, which I completely and totally understand. Um, but it has, I think, shown us, um, a greater appreciation for our son. Um, it's also really, I think pushed us, well, probably more so me, um, to really feel the need to share our opportunity or our stories with other people, because I, I remember what it's like to be sitting there at 22, 23 years old and feel like nobody else knew what life was like for me. Um, sitting through relief society lessons where they talk about 
starting a family and you know the importance of family and you're sitting there thinking like what have I done that's so bad that has made it so I can't have children um I don't ever want anyone else to have to experience those kinds of terrible thoughts and to know that like it you know no one ever does anything to deserve infertility no one ever does anything to deserve having to say goodbye to a child like no one ever deserves those things they're not done to you right um and and you know like we've said before if we hadn't experienced years of infertility we wouldn't have pursued adoption and if we hadn't pursued adoption then we wouldn't have our son um so as painful as those first seven years of our marriage were eight years of our marriage were um we needed those to happen in order to get to where we are now um and i think like um okay so is there some sort of like lesson to be learned with all this I don't think that there has to be a lesson. I don't think there has to be. Um, I think there are opportunities for us to find like tender mercies. I think there's opportunities for us to find like, um, you know, moments where we can um, relate to others or you know, share with others. Sorry, my dog's barking. Um, but ultimately um, sometimes life just happens and sometimes life just happens and it sucks <laughs> and there doesn't always have to be a reason why. Well, before we close, I always ask my, um, the people that I'm interviewing, um, how are you seeking light? Cause the podcast is seeking light. So how do you seek light on a daily basis, Kaylee? Sorry, I'm trying to make sure that uh, she's getting drowsy. Um, I would say for me, um, I think I'm always trying to make sure that I am being open and honest about my experiences along the way. Um, and being honest in the fact that like, yes, there are great ways for us to, you know, learn from these experiences and um, there are opportunities for blessings and the experiences, sure, but being real in the fact that like sometimes this stuff is still just really hard. Um, and, you know, it's like I mentioned before, I don't ever want to find out after the fact that somebody somewhere was suffering in silence because they didn't feel like they could share, right? Or they didn't know that they had someone that they could talk to or that they didn't know that there was someone who knew what they were experiencing. Um, I would hope that through sharing our story and just talking about it more, that people would um, would be, I think, more um, thoughtful in their conversations. Cause I always think of like how difficult it is for us when people all sort of, um, you know, in a, in a um, nonchalant way, will ask about like, oh, so when are you guys gonna have kids? Or, you know, I think like, totally meant to be harmless but for some people like that's just such a hard question to be asked when they're in the midst of it right so if we can even like share our story enough to get people to rethink that like maybe I'm just gonna ask them how they're doing or maybe I'm gonna ask them if they need anything as opposed to trying to like potentially open up this this wound for them um then it's been worth it to share the tears with other people right like it's been worth it to 
to talk about like the pain that we've experienced. But then also I think like through all of this, it, it would have been easy for us to just kind of walk away from our faith, walk away from the church. Like that, that would have been easy. I think anyone who knew us would, wouldn't have questioned it having gone through all we've been through. Um, but I think that it's because of the church and it's because of my knowledge of families being forever that, um, that we were able to survive it. You know, I, I think of now too, this beautiful image of my grandfather who's up in heaven. He's with his, his great grandkids. And like, I think of how terrible it would be to just think that after my kids died, that they just died. Like that to me is a worse thought. And so I'm just grateful that I have that image in my head and then I know that they're up there being taken care of and that I will have the chance to see them again too. Um, it's not over for them and it's not over for us. And, and I just couldn't think of continuing on in life without that knowledge. Haley, thank you so much for sharing all this precious information and your feelings and um, you're going to be able to bless so many people's lives. So thank you so much. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.